Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. These are the audio versions of the sermons preached each Sunday. I hope you enjoy. Hello, friends. It's good to be with you. Whether you're watching this at the first live stream or some other time, uh, it's good to be in worship with all of you. As Judy said, my name is Rich Havard, and I am the pastor of the Inclusive Collective, one of the Presbytery of Chicago's campus ministries. We have a rich connection also um, to this church, and I want to give you thanks from all of our members and our board and, and everyone who's a part of the Inclusive Collective for saying thank you for the ways that you all support us in this important work. We're connected through your mission committee and through your pastors and staff, and I'm grateful for all the work they're doing um, to support us and to continue the good ministry going uh, on here at First Presbyterian Arlington Heights. Uh, even uh, just a, a word about Judy just mentioned a few moments ago in announcements about uh, the ways in which she asks for money and you give money to mission uh, organizations. And I just want to give a brief testimony to say that um, th those financial gifts uh, land with real people and real places, and we are grateful for them. The Inclusive Collective is this collection of young adults. Uh, mostly 18 to 25, many of whom are new to the faith, who are exploring ministry and what it means to follow God. And so your gifts really do matter uh, to us and to so many other organizations. So this morning I'm going to uh, read scripture from the book of the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, if you want to open up a tab on your computer or pull out a physical Bible. And then I'm going to pray before um, we get to the sermon. So hear these words from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. Again, he began to teach beside the sea. Such a very large crowd gathered around him that he got into a boat and on the sea and sat there, while the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. He began to teach them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell on the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on the rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and it sprang up quickly, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it and yielded no grain. Other seed fell into good soil and brought forth grain growing up and increasing and yielding thirty and sixty and a hundredfold. And he said, Let anyone with ears to hear listen. When he was alone, those who were around him, along with the twelve, asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside everything comes in parables, in order that they may indeed look but not perceive, and may indeed listen but not understand, so that they may not turn away again and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? Then how will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. These are the ones on the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. When they hear the word, they immediately receive it with joy, but they have no root and endure only for a while. Then when trouble or persecution arises on the account of the word, immediately they fall away. 
And others are those sown among the thorns. These are the ones who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the lure of wealth and the desire of other things come in and choke the word, and it yields nothing. And these are the ones sown on the good soil. They hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, thirty and sixty and a hundredfold. The word of God for the people of God. Amen. Will you pray with me? Oh God, in these moments, may the words of my mouth and may the meditations of all of our hearts, even though we are scattered in many places, may they all be acceptable to you. May they be aligned with who you are and connected to the people you are calling us to be. And God, when they are not, if we stray or we fall away, remind us that you are a God, not of one or two chances, but of countless chances always welcoming us back to your will and to your way. Amen. So when I was 12 years old and in the seventh grade, I loved this devotional magazine called Campus Journal. And every quarter, my youth minister would walk into our dingy church basement where our youth room was and drop the box of campus journals, and we would all go and pick one up, and I would devour it, reading multiple days at a time. I guess it's an early sign that I was going to be a pastor. But uh, one month, uh, when we received the campus journals, I read that they were having a writing contest. The, the publishers of the, the magazine had asked for, for readers to submit devotional articles for the chance at publication. Now, I was a pretty timid and shy 12-year-old, but for some reason, I decided to, to, to jump at this opportunity. And so I submitted something. Spoiler, I didn't win. Now, my text for the article was the one that I just read, The Parable of the Sower, and I searched my old files and I miraculously found the original article from 2002. I dusted it off and I gave it a fresh read, and the first thing, to be honest, I noticed was my atrocious grammar and writing style, but after I got over that, I dug into the content. And I remembered that just before I wrote that article, I'd attended a big youth conference, a revival service in my hometown in Mississippi. And at this conference, many, quote, bad or unchurched or not churchy kids had experienced a connection with Jesus, a taste of grace, many for the first time. And that experience certainly made its way into my writing because my article was essentially about how many of those bad students were like the bad soils in today's passage. But we, we needed to be different than them. We needed to, to do everything we could to, to, to get to work and to be like the better soil, the good soil. I don't know if you regularly do any sort of journaling or writing, uh, but there's something fascinating, I think, about looking at old items that we write. Now, sometimes it makes me cringe. Other times, maybe we're proud of what we wrote. But, but regardless of how good it is, it always provides a glimpse into who we were at that time. And if we dig beneath the surface and practice a bit of self-awareness, we can often discover new layers that perhaps we didn't know before. So on the surface of this article from 2002, I see my 12-year-old self so frustrated with God 
Why, God, are you pouring out your, your, your grace on those bad students when they haven't worked hard to prepare? Their soil wasn't ready, so why, God, are you wasting all this good seed? Grace should be reserved for the good soil like me, of course. But then when I dig beneath the surface a little bit more, I discover something deeper and truer, and I discover that my own fears appear everywhere in the article. I may have been writing about those other bad students, but the truth was, at the deepest level, I was writing about myself. Why was God pouring out grace on me? Why? Uh, my soil wasn't ready, so why was God wasting good seed? Grace should be reserved for the good soil of someone else. I'm not good enough for grace. My obsessions with being good enough and achieving enough were ingrained in me from an early age, even before the age of 12, and I bet I'm not alone in that. Because the truth is that most every system around us teaches us that we have to do X, Y, and Z in order to attain worth. So then we're constantly asking, have I achieved enough? Am I good enough? How do I look compared to this person or that person? And these questions bounce around in our head and our hearts and our bodies. And even in these days when we are staying home in an act of care for our neighbors, many of us are still being pushed into more and more achievement and comparison games. We get on Facebook. We see that our friends over quarantine have learned new languages, grown backyard gardens, and even have written a book. Meanwhile, we watched yet another Netflix show, finished our fifth pint of Ben and Jerry's this week, and can't figure out how to help our third grader with her math homework. So that voice that says, I'm not good enough, it comes creeping in more and more, doesn't it? This obsession with being good enough is certainly true for me, and I know it's true for the students I work with in the Inclusive Collective. They are brilliant and gifted, but feel overwhelmed by the need to perform in order to gain value and worth. They are told that adding one more line on that resume will get them places and make them truly worthy. Maybe you think about being good enough and achieving enough a lot, too. Some of you may be fans of researcher and author Brene Brown, famous for her TED Talks and books. Brown says that many of us, if not most of us, live in a constant state of fear, and that fear whispers and sometimes screams in our ears, you're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You were unworthy of love. That fear makes us live uh, our lives doing what Brown calls hustling for worthiness. If we're going to be uh, loved and accepted, we better get our stuff together and get our work done. We best be perfect. Brene Brown laments that this is pervasive in our society, and I lament that it's often pervasive in the church, too. In fact, this mentality affects how we see God. In order to receive grace, we must do X, Y, and Z. We must achieve enough to get God's love. So then we come to passages like today's from the Gospel of Mark, and our, our immediate reaction, at least for me, is to figure out how we can be like the good soil in order to receive God's love. 
How can we be our best selves so that God's grace will fall on us? And, and that reading maybe isn't totally inappropriate, but I wonder if there is a deeper truth in this parable. Catholic priest Richard Rohr writes that the job of parables, in fact, is to teach deeper truths. Jesus wants us to move beyond simplistic level, level uh, surface level understandings. By telling parables, Jesus even risks us misunderstanding him so that we can become awake to a deeper reality. Jesus tells parables so we can become deeper people, more like the humans we were made to be. So imagine with me, Jesus standing there on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. The crowd becomes so large that there's no more room for Jesus. He needs to back up a little bit so that he can project his voice. And so he gets in a boat and paddles several yards out and begins teaching. Listen up, everyone. A farmer went out and scattered seed everywhere in all kinds of places. The birds ate some of it. Some of it withered quickly, some was strangled by weeds, and some grew into big, strong plants. Is everyone listening? Jesus asked. His listeners were so confused. Why can't Jesus just tell us something straightforward? Why all these stories? We, we just want something clear and simplistic and easy to understand. And Jesus, in a rather blunt and straightforward manner, says, Some of you will never understand what I'm talking about. Some of you will never get to the deepest level of meaning. Some of you will be content to simply skate across the surface your whole lives. Jesus does decide in his graceful way to offer some interpretive keys for the parable, though. So he talks about the different types of soil and what happens when the different soils receive the seed. You heard the passage read earlier, and you can look um, on your screen or on your Bible. Episcopal priest Barbara Brown Taylor says that after we read this passage, our first question is, what kind of soil are we? How can we turn ourselves into the good soil? How can we improve our lives? How can we become worthy? That's my reaction. To use Brene Brown's language, we think, how can I hustle for worthiness? But notice something, though, if you're looking at the passage in your Bible, notice that, that it is not labeled, it has not been called for centuries the parable of soil judgment. The parable has not been called even the parable of the soils. No, for centuries, our ancestors in the faith have called it the parable of the sower. So what if this parable is less about the kind of soil we are and more about what kind of sower God is? Because in Jesus' parable, the sower goes out and spreads seed everywhere without discrimination. Now, a good responsible farmer uh, examines the soil before she plants seeds because it is ridiculous to waste good seed on bad soil. But God, the sower in Jesus' parable, must be the worst sower in the history of farming. If God was a farmer today, God would surely be fired because God throws out seed all over the place on all types of soil. So maybe, friends, this parable is less about how we can make ourselves better and more about how we are loved beyond measure by a God whose generosity is beyond measure. God's love for us is pervasive and strong. God is reckless and irresponsible. God is wasteful with God's love. God only seems to know one way of operating, and that is to pour God's self out all over the place. 
So maybe Jesus doesn't tell us this parable so that we will go concoct our own salvation plan, so that we will go create a plan on how we can be better. Jesus may just be telling us this parable to reveal the ridiculous nature of God's love. Now, I'm fully aware that this is a basic idea of our faith. God loves us. We get it. We don't have to work for it. We, we know that intellectually. The question is, though, have we let the truth of God's ridiculous love sink down deep into our bones? Does the truth of God's love inform and inspire our lives? If we truly believe that we are loved beyond measure, then why do we spend so much of our lives hustling for worthiness? Soren Kierkegaard, the great Danish philosopher, tells a story about a flock of barnyard geese. Perhaps you've heard it. Imagine that these geese could walk and talk and think like humans, and this community of geese was, was safe enough, and they had a decent life, and they had a nice home in the barnyard. They also went to church every Sunday. And the pastor goose would preach amazing sermons. And every week, the pastor would talk to the geese about how wonderful their wings were. And she'd preach about how they were gifted with wings and could fly anywhere in the world. And the geese would squawk and honk because they were so excited about what the preacher goose had to say about this ability to fly, these beautiful wings. But after the sermon, every single week, all of the geese would waddle back to their corner of the barnyard. Waddle. Now, they'd spend the rest of the week studying books about being able to fly. They'd get in small groups and talk about being able to fly, but they never used their wings to actually fly. One day, a visiting goose swooped in and landed there and asked them, why don't you ever fly? And they said, well, because our life here is decent enough. They were happy enough, so they never followed their true call to fly. They never felt the exhilaration of soaring high above the ground. They missed out on who they were created to be. The first time I heard this story from Kierkegaard a few years ago, uh, someone telling the story from Kierkegaard, I felt like it was a punch in the gut. That's because I'm convinced that many of us, if not most of us, live this way too. We talk about grace. We talk about the power of God's love. We talk about how God's love is for everyone. And yet we are often content to simply know about God's love instead of letting it shape and fuel and run wild in our lives. But here's the truth, y'all. If we keep living lives of comparison and pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps and working to be worthy, we will never know the fullness of who we were created to be. Imagine how different our lives would look and feel like if we lived out of the core of who we are, the fact that we are known and loved, the fact that we are created in the image of God and worthy to be loved no matter who we are or what we do. Imagine the freedom that could come if we were able to stop hustling for worthiness. In this seismic season of chaos and division and injustice and frantic pace, maybe the message we need to hear from God is this. Stop hustling for worthiness. Stop performing. You are loved beyond your wildest imagination. Let that truth Sink down deeply, 
begin to live like it is actually true. One of the greatest prophets and preachers our world and particularly our country has ever known, Martin Luther King Jr. says that that this idea of a personal God who loved him no matter what was little more than an abstract idea in his early years. Now, King had preached and taught about God's unconditional love, but the reality of it had not yet hit his depths. But during the Montgomery bus boycott, King started experiencing immense fear and anxiety due to external and violent threats. And in the midst of this turmoil, of this this moment, his worst moment yet in his life, he said, in the midst of that time, King had an experience in his kitchen that that made his knowledge, his head knowledge about God's love, become a transformative experience of God's love. King prayed, and I quote, I am afraid. I am at the end of my powers. I have nothing left. I've come to the point where I can't face it alone. King had tried doing life and ministry on his own through his own willpower and achievement, and it had worked for a while, but it was no longer working. And after his prayer, King says this, and I quote again, I felt the presence of the divine as I have never before experienced him. King experienced the love of God in a totally new way, a fresh way, and that love inspired his entire life. King understood that God was pouring God's self out all over the place. King understood that he didn't have to do life on his own. Friends, may we all experience the presence of the divine like we never have before. Like Dr. King experienced such angst and anxiety, we are in the midst of our own turmoil as individuals, as a church, as a nation. So especially in this moment, especially in this chaotic time, may we know that we are known, may we know that we are loved beyond measure, not because of what we do, but because of who God is. And may that truth sink down deeply and transform our lives. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.firstpresah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.